Welcome, everybody, to episode 45 of You Meet in a Tavern. I am here with Kirk and Brian, Tug and Caro. We are without Durf this time. I suppose since you all didn't listen to the second half, I will do the recap. Um, essentially, you went with Kurt onto his snail home. You traveled for a while. Uh, he asked about where you were from. You were a little weary of telling him about the totems and whatnot. Tess was a little bit more open just because of the dire situation. Um, all of a sudden, fog rolls in. This white fog starts rolling in. Kurt, Kurt panics. He runs to Bessie. Uh, Durf casts this spell that removes all friction underneath the snail and the snail powers forward and you guys kind of go into chaos as the fog envelops. Uh, Durf saves Tug by casting this erupting earth spell, but in the moment he does not disengage and gets attacked by this fog, these hands that reach out and grasp him and pull him in. Um, Tug, you kind of save the day. Diving after him, you smash your hands together, casting a shatter spell, which kills the fog and dissipates it. And here you are. You are currently rolling to the ground. You look around, and you don't see Durf. Carl, you come out from this snail after picking Tess up after she slammed back against the wall, and you open the door to see uh, Tug kind of rolled onto the ground and there is no derf and uh that's where we're at so i'm still on the ground carl's on the turtle or the snail, well, <laughs> snail. i don't know why yeah. i keep saying it's a turtle um yeah. he's on the decking the sh- kind of shattered rails that ha- the because you kind of blasted the rails off when you f- you failed a deck save or uh, a strength save to kind of hang on um so the whole thing is kind of in shambles right now but yeah carl steps out onto the decking um after bessie stopped and you're on the on the dirt floor of the forest. Uh, I guess I, I shout, you know, Durf! I like yell into the distance and I yell up, uh, Carl, I think Durf is gone. I have no idea where he went. No idea. <laughs> Durf! And I'm just screaming into the ether, I guess. Yeah, and you hear no response. You hear absolutely no response. Um, uh, I will look, I kind of look over my shoulder at, at Tess do something. I don't know what to do, Carl. I, I, he, she starts like flipping through a book uh, from her cloak, like her spell book, trying to trying to think of something, something to do, um, some kind of like find person. She reaches her hands up, and this white light comes out and kind of surrounds the area, but there's no response. And she says, "He's he's nowhere near here. How could he have gone so far in so little time?" Uh, and as at, right as soon as she says that, I just start looking for Kurt. Yeah, Kurt's at the front. He's walking back towards towards you all, and he's like, "What is everyone okay? Is everyone okay? I, I, the fog is gone. What happened?" Uh, Durf is gone. Durf is gone. It was taken by the mist, and he completely disappeared. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, that's all yep. you've got. Well, oh I, shit! I've I've only heard of the mist in in stories. I've never actually encountered it before. It it takes it it takes people elsewhere. It, it could, he could be half across the world by now. What do you mean? Where? Like, how does it do that? I don't I don't, I don't know magic. I'm just a goblin. What do you know about this place? <laughs> I, I'm. I, uh, Okay, I admit, I'm not from this part of the forest. I'm here on business. I'm here selling my wares. I'm, I'm, we're going to the Unseelie camp. I'm just trying to sell stuff. I, 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 don't know, I don't know as much as I let on earlier, okay? Good. 
good. Tug just like, well, I guess I'm still at the bottom. I, we'll, we'll, can we uh, assume that Tug, like, Cable called himself back to the top of the snail to have this conversation? Yeah, you. I mean, if you want to do it, fuck it. You're back on the deck. I'll, I'll, I'll spidey swing up onto the deck with Cable Call and just get in the goblin's face and throw my hands up in the air and just like just in no, no more words to say and Tug goes to Tess and a- asks her does she know any magic or any spell that does that that does what yeah. the mist did Sure, sure. Uh, she she starts flipping through her book, flipping through her book, and uh, she doesn't come up with anything. She says, "This this is going to take some time. I'm going to have to do some research. I didn't bring I didn't bring everything from the arcane tower here, but I think with with enough time, I can conjure some of the books from the library that are still there, uh, and I might be able to find something. But but we got to start looking now, or or do something. Yeah, we need we need to start looking right now. Carl just kind of is going to walk and. Tower over Kurt and said, you know, take us to someone who can tell us anything. Okay. And he kind of like straightens his hat and he says, well, you know, we could kill two birds with one stone here. We're, we're headed towards the Unseelie camp. We're not but a few hours away. That's the only, oh, the only living creatures that aren't dangerous. Well, aren't necessarily dangerous that are on the way that they live here. They've been here for, for years and years. They As may- he's talking... Carl grabs him and says, shut up <laughs> and lead the way. <laughs> okay. Uh, and he kind of grabs onto your hands with his, uh, his little scaly goblin hands. And he says, okay, okay, we'll, we'll go straight away. And I just drop him. Let okay. him go. And he rushes up to Bessie and uh, gets a hold of the rings and, and says into her slug ears. I'm not sure. We need Durf. Durf would tell me if we have slug, <laughs> if snails have ears or not. Doesn't um, it have antennae? Yeah. Can, it, can they he even whispered. hear? <laughs> That's, those are eyes, though, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we need to channel Jamal. <laughs> right. Uh, he whispers into whatever hearing device a snail has, and uh, they start churning forward. And at this point, Bessie is um, so kind of like... Uh, shuddered from this situation that they were that you guys were in this whole kind of chaos and she moves at a reasonable pace she's going like six miles an hour now like at least double maybe triple the speed so you travel for several more hours through this thick forest you you sway up and down the many hills of the Feywild you pass streams and strange creatures that look up at you from taking a drink Uh, At one point, you move carefully through a patch of large mushrooms that give off streams of black smoke like bombs ready to burst. Bessie sloshes through a wide bog full of stench that nearly knocks you off your feet. And then all of a sudden, a forest of crystallized trees that takes your breath away. This place that you're in is as magical as magical gets. And although the journey ahead is long and treacherous and you're worried about your friend... The landscape here is so interesting and unbelievable that every second spent here flies by with ease. And at at long last, after several hours, you finally feel the snail start to slow as you come over a ridge to see specks of firelight through the trees below. Makeshift huts of wood and mud and straw speck the forest floor, both large and small, some built high up into the trees themselves. Hanging bridges made of vines droop low from the branches of the luminous trees, connecting large balconies that are staggered at many heights. 
Strange, small creatures traverse their planks. Bipedal cat people with long ears and dark fairies that hover along with them. Sentient insects that crawl along the ropes with hundreds of tiny feet, engaging in conversation with passersby. Through this maze of ladders and bridges that you see up in the trees, a large bonfire sends flames high into the air from the forest floor, surrounded on all sides by wooden tables full of the larger fey creatures than the ones above. Beasts with horse legs but human torsos. Dark elves with long, thin ears sharpened to a point. Bulls standing on two crooked legs, crashing ales together or roasting the shanks of some poor animal over the fire. Uproarious music plays constantly from somewhere unseen, and two small creatures covered from head to toe in hair strike up a dance, calling applause from those around them. And as you approach this, Kurt swallows hard and grips the reins, and he says, Well, they look in a joyful spirit, at least. Perhaps they're in the buying mood. What say you? Shall we join the fun? Oh, the buying mood? What are we selling? We're selling all my stuff. Oh, I'm a Jesus, dude. We've been over this. Our guy just disappeared, and you're worried about selling? You got us into this mess. Tug, well, just, Tug just zips down, and he just start, <laughs> he's just going to start gallivanting in the camp. And okay. At, at going up to whomever Tug would perceive the um, most established, is that the word I want to say? Most high-ranking person there. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so you rush down this hill. Um, Carl, what uh, are you as, doing? Kind of as I walk past Kurt, I just kind of leer at him and just, if we don't find Durf, you have nothing. Nothing to sell. Your life might be forfeit. Give me an intimidation check. That's charisma. You should have a high of that. Yeah. 17. 17? Okay, yeah, he swallows hard, and you see kind of like bullets of sweat start to drop off his forehead, and he says, okay, I, I, I'll I, help you as much as I can, I promise, I, I'm sorry, I didn't, I don't know if I got you into this mess, or I was just trying to help you out, but, you know, we're here now, and let's just, let's just see what we can find. And I just keep walking, I don't, don't even respond. All right, cool. And uh, he starts to turn forward. Tess walks past him as well, but she stays on the snail, just kind of shaking her head. And they churn after you. Um, so, Tug, you're just running right into camp. Yeah, I mean, not like, ah, with like my arms spinning <laughs> or anything, but like <laughs> jogging down the hill. Waltzing in there like you, uh, like you like, know like I the belong, people. Like not causing trouble, but I'm certainly not out of place. Okay, sure. Or that's the, that's the air I'm trying to have about me. All right, so you get there first um, with Carl right behind you and Kurt and Tess behind them. Um, but as soon as you walk into the camp, you walk towards this fire, I presume, where like most of the activity is? Is that where you're going? Yeah. Okay, so you walk right up to the fire in the firelight right between these two people that are dancing, and they stop to look at you, and then all of a sudden around you... You hear the shuffle of benches as these minotaurs and centaurs stand up and grab weapons um, and see this intruder coming into the camp. The music slows and then stops completely, and uh, they look at you, and you can tell that this is a tense situation, that you do not belong here, uh, but no one says anything. They're just kind of staring you down. 
All right. Uh, Tug starts like, you know, when you like wave your hands out in front of you like that, like settle down, settle down. He doesn't say it condescending like, but that's the motion he's making with his hands. And he goes, everybody relax. Everybody calm down. I am not here to start anything. I am here looking for information. And I was brought here under the pretense that this is the only place I could get it. I don't want to be here. You don't want me here. But I desperately need help. Who can I speak to about the matters of these woods? Okay. And you hear, uh, you see this large minotaur that's strapped in hide. He's got a jagged sword and he steps forward and he says, um, What business do you have here? What information do you seek? And at this point, Carl and um, and uh, Kurt and Tess, you guys approach and you're right next to uh, Tug at this point. I have no business directly with you. I was put in a situation, however, that the information that you might possess is what we're looking for. I don't know. I'm not a very eloquent speaker, clearly. So I, I need help. That's what I'm looking sure. for. Sure. Kurt, yeah, Kurt, Kurt uh, slides down off a snail and he lands in front of you. And he says, what my friend here is trying to say, and he kind of nudges back to you and he says is that we have information we we seek information on the contents of your purse we are traveling merchants from a distant land and we have all sorts of gizmos and gadgets for you to explore yes and we exchange those wares for information about (laughs) the area we're in and tug just like elbows Kurt in the ribs <laughs> and uh the large the same large minotaur kind of points his jagged sword towards Carl and he says I never heard of no merchants looking like that and he's pointing basically to your bright shiny armor your sharp sword I I approach the minotaur walking till the sword point is directly in my chest and I just uh, give me a perception check Fourteen. Fourteen? Okay, you can hear out of the corner of your, well, ear. You can hear out of the sides of your ear, your surroundings. You hear bowstrings start to tense up from up above in the bridges. Okay. As Uh, you say this. Yeah. What can you tell us about the fog? The fog took our friend. Okay, and as you say this, you are kind of face-to-face with him, staring him down. Um, He... Looks like he's about to make a move with his sword when all of a sudden at the word mist, there's a grumble from the crowd and through the crowd behind him, suddenly something pushes forward and bodies start to move aside as this slender, but tall and powerful centaur female armored in gold bracers, leather strapped to her chest You see her antlers curl into rounds atop her head, and they sprout at least a dozen different ways above a long brown mane that drapes down her side. She is a regal-looking, powerful creature who is clearly in command of whatever group of people this is. And she puts a hand on this minotaur's uh, shoulder, and she says, Jonathan, it's fine. And he kind of steps aside, 
begrudgingly. Very, he puts his sword away, but he is not he is not okay with the situation at hand. And you you hear the bowstring start to kind of loosen up, and she looks down on you. She towers over you, Carl. She's from from hoof to antler. She is at least four or five feet towering above you, and she says, "You speak of the mist. Have you seen this?" The mist yeah, oh, took you our friend. To You're not talking to me. Uh, my fault. My bad. <laughs> Doug's just in the background. <laughs> the mist took our friend. We were traveling to the waterfall. We have no idea where he is, where he can be found, and we are extremely worried. Okay. Um. You you spoke of the waterfall. And immediately you noticed her tone changed. Her tone changed quite a bit. Um, She's less concerned about the mist now as she is about the waterfall. And she looks over the four of you. And she, she seems a little more perturbed. Why do you seek such a dangerous place? I, I kind of thumb over my shoulder at Tess. She's an artist. She wants to paint it. That's, okay, that's what we're going with. Um, <laughs> yeah, give me Dines. a tug. Tug just goes, oh. <laughs> just, just like, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, just deception check, please. Three. Did you roll a natural? A three? Yeah. A natural three? Uh, it was, it's a three. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay, uh, she... She lifts her hands up once again, and bowstrings start to tense. You you hear the clang of swords come back out, and she says, "Give me one reason why I shouldn't strike you down right now, you lying, pathetic fools." I mean, I wasn't lying. She's not a good artist, but I mean, <laughs> at this point, the waterfall doesn't matter. We just want to find our friend who was taken by the mist. That's all we care about. You can have the goblin. You can have his snail. We just want our friend. Give me a persuasion check. Dear God. Four? <laughs> Four? Um, okay. She uh, she motions to several guards around that uh, rush forward to take you captive. What do you do? I just, I let them. You let them? Okay. Yeah. This, this, good night. Oh, guys. <laughs> jo- is one of them Jonathan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he grabs Carl first because he's right up. I mean, he's got Carl in his arms now, kind of strapped backwards. He turns to face you, and Carl is just completely overtaken by this massive minotaur. Everybody, settle down! Holy smoke! Did I? We don't. We don't even. We don't, we never even saw this asshole before. And Doug points <laughs> over at Kurt. <laughs> Listen, this is the long and short of it. We got enveloped by the mist. The mist has taken our friend. The asshole I just said we didn't know. The only thing he did provide was the context that this is where we needed to be to get information to get him back. Carl definitely shouldn't have lied to you guys. That was a mistake. However, if you circle back to the original point that I started talking about, you would have known that that is exactly why we're here. Please just offer us help. You can have the goblin. You can take all this stuff. You can have the massive snail, which is garbage, by the way, and move slower than at the pace you can walk. So that's kind of zero value. So sorry for that. We just 
need information to get our friend back. And if okay. that leads us to the waterfall by proxy, so be it. But we <laughs> need to get our this, friend back. You say all this as the guards walk extremely slowly towards you. And uh, why don't you give me a, a persuasion check as well? See what happens. 21. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So this female uh, centaur kind of puts a hand out to Jonathan. And Jonathan says, Deacon. I can end this right now and we can go back to our merriment. Just let me. Let me slit his throat. And um, Deacon, this, this large female senator, just says, no, no, no. Let We can make this decision later. Let me hear what they have to say. And he, once again, begrudgingly kind of th- throws Carl's hands down and walks to the side and actually kind of pushes past a lot of the other beasts that are around this fire and he disappears and the suntar says you three come with me you three me me tess and carl and kurt kind of from the background is like ah you know i'm not really associated with these three if i could just kind of you know sell my stuff i'd be pretty happy to leave everybody alone i walk back pick up kurt by the scruff and just kind of dog walking along with us uh, oh, okay. Yeah, Bessie, you be good. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I guess I guess I'm following. Okay. All right. Sweet. So, uh, yeah. So, and Tess obviously follows as well. Um, and the three of you kind of follow. The music starts to pick up again. Uh, it takes a little while. People are kind of like side eyeing you. Uh, the people above, or the the creatures that are above in the bridges watch the scene for a long while before finally just moving on and going about their their evening activities uh, music picks up fire is blaring um, people start picking up their mugs again and uh, you pass the crowd and you follow Deacon you follow this centaur um, through this camp and you see huts all around you you see cabins you see other smaller fires other strange creatures around you as you walk through this and Eventually, you reach this twisted tree trunk um, that has a big opening that's covered in thorns. And as Deacon approaches, these thorns seem to fold in on each other and and move as this these this twisted shrubbery kind of moves on its own accord, creating a natural doorway. And she ducks underneath and walks into this dark room that's lit by several firelights on the walls, uh, completely covered in dirt on all sides, except for a small table and very lush pillows that surround this. And she sits on the far end of the table and she says, you say your friend was captured by the mist. We have been avoiding the mist for years. We have not heard of it in such a long time. How can I believe you? Be- because we are clearly not from here, and we're coming to you with something that is a major issue that you know about, and if we hadn't seen it, how else would we know about it? We're clearly not from here, yet we know about the mist. And she kind of strokes her chin. She strokes her chin. She looks down at you. She says, this is true. Your garb is not of this place, not of the Feywild. Are you from, where are you from exactly? We're from the right side up. It is quite different from the Feywild. First off, there's not mist that eats people or whatever the (laughs) hell it does. That's like (laughs) big, big number one. 
Listen, uh, okay, since you, there's no... Since you're not believing us anyways, which I can clearly feel by your body language, um, I'm just going to throw this out there. We fell in a well, and we ended up here, and then we battled, like, a plant lake thing in a river or creek or whatever the hell that was in, and then... We found goblin slug combo and we ended up over here and on our way over here, there's a mist and it ate somebody. And now we are as we are and it's a crime scene. So we need some freaking help. <laughs> we're, we're dying out here. Literally, I died earlier and we have no idea where to go. And you're the information you're asking from us that'll make you happy. You're not going to get because we don't have those answers. Hmm. Well, you must be from somewhere else if you traveled near the creek. Everyone around here knows to stay away from the waters. We call the mist the veil. It is a sentient being. It, it learns of living creatures and devours them. But as it consumes them, they are transported to a different place in this world but the place that they are transported is always different. It could be just a few yards away. It could be miles and miles and miles. But no one knows the source. No one knows the ins and outs of the veil. There is no way I can help you find your friend. Can you help us find the veil? The mist itself is a mystery. It's a mystery. Really? Our friend is... <laughs> gone possibly dead and you hit us with a mist bun <laughs> alright Carl you're gonna have to handle this conversation cause I'm I'm about to lose my shit over here to what is your name what's your name my name is Deacon I am in Deacon. charge of this fake camp beautiful Deacon I'm Tug your communication skills are miserable the amount of energy and effort you're putting into the light of the situation we have kind of bullshit kind of bullshit <laughs> um so if you aren't going to help us, at least point us in the right direction so we can leave this camp and try and do right by our friend. Listen, I have no stake in your lives, your little petty lives. I have no, I have, there is no reason why I should help you. If I even could, there is no reason why I should. If you do not help us, we will find the veil. We will bring it to you and we will let it consume you and all. All of your friends. Give me an intimidation check. 19. Okay. Um, she seems a little perturbed, like a little taken aback by this, even in her obvious position of power here. She doesn't you know you. She doesn't know where you're from. She doesn't know what. I mean, you've obviously made it this far through the Feywild, so you could have special abilities that she doesn't know about. So, um, yeah, she, she doesn't say anything yet, but she you can tell that she is obviously kind of shook by this a little bit the other option that you have is we will eliminate the veil for you so that you and your people never have to worry about it again but we need help in finding it first that is an interesting proposition you have but let us hit another point that you brought up back at the fire you said you seek the waterfall these things may be connected Long ago, about a century ago, a shadow man came to the Feywild. He erected a temple for himself at the top of the waterfall, and this is when stories of the Vale began. He is said to control the moon. 
and lure prey to him to feast on their souls. You've seen the moon in the Fey. You've seen how powerful it can be, correct? Yes. These beams, these beams that come down from the moon, they have destroyed many of our camps before. And as the veil came, the stories of the veil came around the same time, perhaps your answers lie there. Ultimately, that is our goal. However, without our friend, we will not seek out the temple. Well, then I am of no help to you. The veil is a mystery, like I said before. I made the joke you didn't appreciate it, I understand. But I simply cannot help you unless you tell me the real story. Why do you seek the waterfall? Why would you go to such a place? Why are you even here? We're here because we fell down a well. That, yeah, oddly enough, that part's totally true. (laughs) (laughs) Lied about her being an artist, but we actually fell through a well to get here, which is, put it on the list, right? Um, Like, out of character, my voice is getting shredded right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of tug speech without derf. Uh, Uh, Give me, give me, both of you give me a perception check. Twelve? Nine. Nine? Um... (laughs) All right, you 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 notice that it's uh, sex- exceptionally quiet in this room. Um, Tug, you're not sure why. Carl, you realize that uh, Kurt is mysteriously missing. He's gone. Shocker. <laughs> He's out. Uh, noticing that Kurt is gone, Tug turns back to Deke. And he's like, "You're gonna want to find him. He is pretty much just a straight up criminal." So, <laughs> courtesy heads up there. All right. She, she kind of rolls are her looking, eyes. We are looking for a MacGuffin that we need to defeat and what we call the right side up, because since we fell through a well, we call this the upside down. And so we can defeat an army of people, an army of resurrected, morphed, putty people, gray goop people that are like destroying our world. L- look, can you just take our word for it? <laughs> Tess, Tess, Tess sees you struggling with this, and she kind of puts her hand. She's like, "Tug, tug. If if we can't be honest at this point in this dire situation, we have to be honest. We have to be honest. Okay, we are in possession of several very powerful items on our world, and we seek the next. We think that through our studies, we think that when all of these are put together." We will be able to defeat the darkness that con- that is currently consuming our world. We must save it and bring it back to what it used to be. All signs have pointed to this place. And so far, the waterfall is all we have to go on. It's the only beacon. It's the only source of power, of e- extreme unusual power in this forest. And all other totems have been the source of strange and unusual power within our world. That is why we seek the waterfall. And uh, Deacon thinks for a long moment, she paces around across that, that table of hers and give me, um, give me an insight check. The two of you natural 20 Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Six. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, 
Tug, you just kind of are watching her pace, not thinking much of it, thinking she's actually really mulling over this idea of of wanting your help. And but Carl, you see right through this, and you can tell by her body language that she is coming up with some sort of plan based off the information she just heard that is sinister. And I'll say that's what you get for the natural 20. Um, You understand that whatever she's thinking up uh, is not in your best interest. And at that exact moment, when you realize that, you hear shouting coming from outside and Kurt's very worried and very angsty voice shouting, No! No! Stop it! Get off! Get off me! No, no, get off him. <laughs> no, totally, get off him. No. <laughs> you rolling your eyes and saying that? In the- and then Tug shrugs and looks at Tass like, if you were, Tug shrugs and looks at Tass and is like, if you want to do something about it, you're going to have to do something about it because I'm not. Tess looks to Carl. Tess is looking at Carl. Carl, I'm going to kind He's of... looking at Tug. Tug's I'm looking look at Tess. At, I'm going <laughs> to look continue. at Tug and make a motion towards the door and just start walking out. Yeah, because you know something's up right. with this this woman centaur. Yep. Okay. Uh, you walk out of this tree, Carl, you first, and you see in the distance past these huts, this bonfire, you see the shadows of several centaur and bulls surrounding the snail. And Kurt is standing on top of the shell and they are rummaging through his stuff and attempting to climb up at him with swords drawn. Uh, Tug steps out and looks at Carl and goes, well, so what the hell's going on with that? Tess, co- Tess comes out and she says, we never should have come here. This is this is wrong. Kurt, Kurt is in danger. He was our friend. He, he took us all this way. We need to help him. Uh... Deacon comes out as well. And she kind of towers over the three of you. And she calls out to you and she says, as you guys have stepped a little bit further away from the tree, and she says, stop right there. And you see from either side of you coming down kind of these alleyways around the trees, you see more minotaurs racing towards you, you three. And you are stuck in the middle. So you've got basically minotaurs on either side. You've got a whole horde of people attacking Kurt currently. And you've got this large centaur behind you. Deacon. everybody this is joe your dungeon master thank you again for listening to you mean the tavern podcast i hope you guys are enjoying this arc got a lot of fun and exciting things planned and i'm pretty excited about the way it's going so far um so thanks for listening appreciate it i want to tell you about a book i've been reading it's called intent and intentions and all the powers that be by thad holly i'll read you a little blurb on the back of the book just so you get a feel of it and then i'll give you my own hot take Trell, a hapless soul, bittered and hollowed by his own existence, unexpectedly dis- un- unexpectedly discovers a purpose and finds himself thrust headlong into the known world, ushered along by the most revered accepted of the White Tower. Trell embarks on a perilous quest into the callous and unwelcoming world beyond the valley, 
a world filled with menacing orcs and cunning birds, scheming goblins and clever tree lips, and beneath it all, an indifferent nature cracking at the seams. In a time of obscure lore and guarded secrets, how can one so simple hope to comprehend so much? How could anyone balance that narrow margin between the intent and intentions and all the powers that be? So just from that, you get a sense of this uh, this book. It, it is a great fantasy novel. I've been reading it. I'm several chapters in now, maybe about halfway through the book, um, and I've been really enjoying it. It's got the old feel of like a Lord of the Rings trilogy, or The Hobbit, Neverending Story. Um, those that kind of like deep fantasy that goes beyond just the story that's going on and the characters that are in it, which are very good, but also takes you kind of in the lore of the world and what's going on on the outside. So um, I've been really enjoying it. It's it's a page turner. I can't wait to finish it. Uh, I think you guys should definitely check it out. I think it's it's $7 on Kindle and only $13 on paperback if you order from Amazon. Um, once again, Intent and Intentions and All the Powers That Be by Thad Hawley. I, I highly recommend it. I want to now give a special shout out to uh, the supporters of our show, people that donate money to the show to keep it going, to keep us convincing our wives that this is all worth it. Uh, I want you, I want to give a special shout out to those who gave us $15 or more a month. Dash, Cole, Andre K, Jello Crew, Kurt Nolan, Tarkin Davis, Sierra Clark, Eleanor Fitchett, Jason Ford, Jonathan Zeman, Michael Kennitzer, GM Binder, Max Bender, Holly Roxana, Ice Blue 220, Drive for Honor, Sarah Blue, Mark Deacon, and Crispy Bacon, Dr. Shit Fun Crew, Cash Register, and Wilma Fingerdew. That might be my favorite name to read. So uh, thank you guys so much for your donations to the show. Um, you may have heard some of these guys uh, and girls on the show as characters. That's what um, a special select few of these $15 a month people. Well, not special select, like the first 10 or so. Um, so thank you guys so much for donating, and we really appreciate the support. All right, that's it for me. I'm enough rambling on. I want you guys to get back into the action. Enjoy the rest of the episode, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. is going to whirl around and start charging Deacon. Okay. Tess draws her wand ready to save Kurt. Let's all roll initiative. Nine. Uh, Mine's six, uh, 15. Excuse me. All right. So the current situation after rolling initiative is Carl is currently rushing towards Deacon. We'll say towards the south. Um, Tug, you are facing facing the west where a minotaur is rushing towards you. Another minotaur is rushing towards you, Carl, from the east. And Tess is in the north staring down this horde of creatures that are, are crawling up the shell towards Kurt. And up first is the minotaur that is rushing towards Carl and sees Carl kind of turn towards Deacon. And the minotaur comes racing forward with this giant axe this great axe that's just razor sharp on both sides and rushes up to you before you can run towards deacon and makes an attack with this great axe rolling a 20 
Which you, will hit? You know that hits by now. Stop asking. I should know. I should. Well, you. What's your AC? 18, Eighteen. Eighteen. Right? Yeah. Okay. All right. So this is gonna do a total of uh, 18, 18 slashing damage. And actually, uh, he is charging. This Minotaur is charging towards you. It has moved several feet towards you. So you are going to take an additional nine damage. And I need you to make a strength saving throw. Dirty 20. Dirty 20. Okay. You uh, you are pushed a couple feet back from this attack, but you stay on your feet. You remain on your feet, but you are engaged with this creature. And uh, Tug, you are up. You see a minotaur racing towards you on the other side. Is it, so this is an open clearing, right? There's nothing large that I could cable call to? Uh, no, there are large buildings. There are trees around you, all around you. There's bridges overhead. Uh, there's all, all sorts of stuff around you. You're not in a clearing at all. You're like beneath a canopy, surrounded on all sides by forest. Okay, I thought it was an open area with those things surrounding us, but there is like things above us, for, for, for example, like the bridge. Um, okay. 100%, yep. So... Good to know. I don't think I'm going to do anything with that yet. I'm going to charge uh, back at the Minotaur that's running on me. Mm-hmm. And as I'm running, I'm uh, just pounding my fists together and getting my uh, lightning gauntlets kind of activated, my lightning fists. Okay. And um, I'm going to attempt to uh, expend a key point and do a flurry of blows. Okay, sweet. Make those attacks. Um, and I haven't done it in so long. Remind me, Flurry of Blows gives me four attacks now, correct? Yeah, because at, yeah, yep, at your level currently, yep. Because it's two, and then my bonus is one, and then Flurry of Blows gives me a, that last one. You have one. an action, an extra action, a bonus action, and then your Flurry of Blows. Yep. Cool. So uh, here we go. Three attacks. Let's do this. Or four. Or excuse me, four attacks. Uh, 17. Mm-hmm. 23. Okay. Uh, 13. Okay. And 23 again. Uh, three of them will hit. So all except for the third hit. Okay. 8, 4, 1. So that's 13 plus 15, 28. 28 damage. Okay, nice. How does, what does it look like? It's just kind of uh, Tug's charging and the Minotaur, uh, obviously seeing that Tug is smaller, looks like he's getting ready to envelop... Uh, Tug's entire frame with his um, and Tug just kind of does like a little like a little dip with his left shoulder and then just unleashes the combo going by on uh, the Minotaur's right hand side so it's just kind of a couple rapid punches working up its way to the body you know with the last one being a kidney shot as they kind of roll past each other Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah. So you turn this thing on its side as you deliver these lightning blows into this beast's side, and it it howls out like as it turns its head towards you, and it's got these long, long pointed um, horns on its head, and it tries to gore you with these as you as you strike it, and it's gonna roll a twenty-five. Yeah, that'll that'll get it. And that's going to do uh, 17 damage, 17 piercing damage. Okay. So you get hit with a sharp, sharp edge right in your side. A big gash kind of travels across your side um, from these horns. And Carl, you're up. And you are currently engaged with the Minotaur. And he's on my... Okay. Um, there... I'm assuming there's like a, a kind of a open area between like us and... Kurt, right? 
Yeah. Yep. You are. You are. So in between you and Curtis Tess, who's staring in that direction. So like on the far side of Tess, like between Tess and Kurt, I'm mm-hmm. going to use a um, one of my sorcery, my other sorcery point, and cast Fog Cloud. Okay. Nice. What does that do? Uh, create a 20 foot radius sphere of fog centered on a point within range. Okay. Spreads around corners and is the area is heavily obscured. It lasts for the duration or until a wind of moderate or greater speed, at least 10 miles an hour, disperses it. Okay. So my goal is to kind of make them think it's the mist. Okay, I love this. And what do you what do you say when you cast this? Uh, I don't say anything because I don't want to. It's just it's a concentration spell, so I don't want I don't want to say anything because mm-hmm. I don't want to let them know that I am the source. Okay, so you're not trying to say, like, feel my power, here's the mist. You're just trying to bring it into the camp. Right, because I kind of hinted during our talk earlier that that we might use the mist as a weapon. Okay, sweet. So, fog cloud. All right, so you win. What what center point are you uh, casting this on? Just past Tess. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so kind of to like obscure Tess's vision uh, of what's going on with Kurt to make her kind okay. of focus on us and then also to can maybe try and intimidate these minotaurs and Deacon. Okay, awesome. All right, so all of a sudden this fog, as you kind of raise your hands and cast this, this fog begins to appear in what looks like a small sphere at first in the middle of the camp, but begins to spread out to corners and this rolling fog kind of spreads around. You lose sight of Kurt and the minotaurs and the centaurs and all these creatures that are surrounding the snail, but you hear shouts of panic. They go from angry um, shouts towards Kurt to panic, like, Oh, what is that? Oh, the mist! The mist, it's here! Well, roll me a, um, roll me a deception check, actually. And I'll give you advantage on this. Uh, 18. Mm-hmm. And 18 again. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's exactly what happened with that high of a roll. Um, just like I said, people start to panic. Deacon backs up slightly. The minotaurs that are engaged with you are still kind of like, they are, are they are weary, but, um, you know, they're engaged in battle and they are heated up and they are just in reckless attacks. But you definitely hear some kind of confusion and commotion come from over where Kurt is. Uh, Tess is up now and she whips around after this fog kind of blurs her vision and she waves her wand. She points her wand towards Deacon and she screams something like, let us go! And three magic missiles come straight forward and strike the strike deacon right in the chest and she's gonna deal three two plus three six eight plus uh she's gonna deal 11 damage to deacon and and just boom 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 three spurts of magical energy strike deacon's chest as she backs up slightly and it's her turn now and she's gonna retaliate with her own against Tess, she pulls out this longbow from behind her back and she pulls this longbow back tight and releases an arrow straight towards the female wizard. And she rolled a natural 20. Um, so here we go. She's going to deal. She's going to deal 15 damage to Tess. Um, and that hurts her quite a bit. So an arrow kind of pierces and strikes through her left shoulder and stays there and sticks out of her cloak as red blood starts to pool in the shoulder 
up next is the Minotaur that was attacking Carl. Um, seeing this fog cloud, he panics a little bit. I'm going to give him disadvantage because of your deception roll on the first attack roll he has against you, Carl. But he tries to bring this great axe back towards you again. And he rolls a four and a ten. So neither of those are going to hit. So you lift your shield up at the right moment. It just clangs around your shield as he's kind of panicked from this this situation that's going on and you hear more shouts and confusion coming from Kurt and Kurt just screaming out for help. Tug, you're up. I guess I will just do my normal attacks Mm -hmm. first and then see how that pans out and go from there. Okay. Uh, That is a 16. That is a 12. And that is a 24. Okay. Do it. Six plus six, so 12 plus 10, so 22 damage. 22 damage, okay. It's kind of going to be, Tug's going to like kind of hop up, since he just got gored by the the horns. He's going to kind of like pull them out of him and just start, and just it's just going to be two knee strikes is what it's going to be. Yeah, nice. So you lift up and you grab onto his horns as he kind of pulls you off the ground. But you uh, flex your abs and two knees strike right between his eyes and blood starts to run down his face as you crush his nose. And he is going to go into a reckless rage. Uh, Mechanically, what this means is he's going to get advantage on this attack, but any attack against him on the next turn is going to get advantage as well. So he's going to get advantage against you as he reaches from his hip and tries to swing a great axe around towards you. Rolling a natural one. Good thing for advantage. And a three. So he misses. So as you're kind of hanging on to this, these horns, uh, you are lifting your legs up and he's just swinging left and right with his great axe, unable to connect. And Carl, you're up. Uh, so I'm going to attack the one that's right on top of me just to try and end him so I can assist Tug and Tess. Okay. Uh, So I've got a 21 and a 17 to hit. Both will hit. Uh, The first one I'm going to uh, activate, use my uh, last charge of Divine Smite from Source Bane. Okay. First one is for 27 damage. Nice, okay. Shit. And then the second one is... 16. So a total of... 43. 43? Yep. Damn, son. Alright, what does it look like? Uh, so, like, the first one, uh, Soros Bane comes, like, kind of a slash across his chest, kind of, uh, uh, light gold glow as it makes contact with him, and then just an immediate backhand sweep, uh, kind of along his, uh, He's taller than his, his like upper thighs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. With both of these strikes, you open deep wounds into this Minotaur. Um, this Minotaur is looking almost just as bad as the one Tug is attacking. They are bloodied and panting. And Tess is up next, and she powers up her spells a little bit more. And she points her wand at Deacon as she's kind of like chasing after her, just wa- just step by step walking towards Deacon. And you see this red tip form on the end of her wand as this flaming fireball erupts and crashes into Deacon's house. Her the the tree trunk just 
bursts into flames, taking Deacon along with it. She's going to make a deck save. And she passes, but she still takes 18 total damage um, as these flames lick out at her from the from the house that just bursts into flames. And this these flames are traveling up this tree and kind of surrounding the back of the battlefield. Um, it's they leap from hut to hut from these these sticks, these 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 huts made of sticks and wood, and all of a sudden surrounding you is now this wall of flame and Deacon looks towards Tess and she calls out to her minotaurs and she says kill them and take the weapons I want those powerful weapons and she again draws back an arrow and fires it at Tess but through the flames through the smoke that's coming off off her tree uh, it gets in her eyes and she just misses just an arrow just whizzes by over Tess's head just right past her ear barely nicking it doing any damage and up next the Minotaur next to Carl after hearing this command from uh, his leader goes into a reckless rage um, same kind of mechanical thing that's happening. He's going to get an advantage on an attack against you, Carl, but you're going to have advantage against him. Uh, he rolls a 22, so that will definitely hit. Don't even have to roll that. And you're going to take a total of 13 slashing damage. So the great axe just slashes across your chest. And tug, you're up. And how's the uh, Minotaur in front of me looking? He's bloodied. He's not looking great. Okay, I'm go- I'm just going to do my three attacks on this Minotaur again, and then I'm going to want to take a bonus action. Okay, nice. Natural 20. Woo! 24. Okay, but pause real quick. If you use the third attack, that is your bonus action. So, like, you get you get two normal actions, uh, and then right, your third right. attack is a bonus action. Right, 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 right. Um, okay, so I will... I guess I'll stick with those because I, I, I need to use the bonus action. Okay. So you uh, strike twice. One of them's a crit. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And what's the other one? Uh, the other one was a 24 and I just rolled an eight on the crit. And then the okay. 24, I rolled another eight. So that's 24 plus 10. So 34 damage. Okay. Tell me how you kill it. Um, so the, as the Minotaur swung its axe around, Tug uh, limboed out of the way and used the Minotaur's own uh, momentum to mm-hmm. grab him by the horns again. And just since Tug's so much lower and it's had to be a low swing to hit, the Minotaur's kind of bent forward. So Tug dodges and grabs the horns and kind of like r- rides the, the Minotaur to the ground and then just starts just it's just two massive hammering punches into the broken snout of the of the minotaur from the last the previous round where where tug broke the snoot nice so tug just finishes off in the same way the first it's the first one is like a a big crunch and then the second punch is just like it's just like mush just Oh yeah, nice. So here, this Minotaur was in such a reckless attack the first turn that it left itself completely defenseless, and you easily take it to the ground and just crush your fists into it and end its life. And it's it was that Minotaur's turn. Oh, hold on, my bonus action. Yeah, your bonus. I want to expend a key action? point. Um, f- I want to expend a key point for patient defense. 
Okay. Which is what does I that get, do again? Um, I get uh, it's a dodge next turn. Okay. Okay. Nice. Uh, at the beginning of next turn, or like? Yeah. Until until my next turn. Yeah, I get an opportunity uh, to dodge. Okay. Sweet. Yep. Um. All right. Awesome. So, Carl, you're up. Uh. So, the one the one in front of me is kind of looks looks bloodied, uh, and I reach back with Swordsbane to look like I'm coming forward with an attack but I'm actually going ooh it's gonna be do I want to do that <laughs> mm. yeah I'm just gonna try and finish this one a 17 and a 23 to hit both will hit 22 damage mm-hmm. nice okay uh, total total okay you don't kill it but tell me what it looks like uh, so he's already got these like gaping wounds kind of on his chest and his upper thighs and I'm just opening up uh, new wounds along his like on his legs uh, on his like forearms as he's trying to defend himself just to try and make his blood loss uh, kind of affect him if at all possible. Okay, nice. Yeah, you do so much damage to him. He kind of keels over in pain. He looks like he's on his last leg, but he is still up. He is still kind of lifts himself to his feet and grips around his... Did you roll those with advantage, by the way? My attack rolls? Yeah. No. You should have. You go ahead, just in case you crit. I mean... I did not crit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, he, yeah, he grips his great axe and just pulls it back up off the ground, just ready to make one last strike, just trying his best to hang on to the last bit of life he has. Um, but Tess turns towards him as he sees this, and she points her wand, casting magic missile at him, and three another three bolts of energy, magical energy strike out, and... They take him out easily. So one on the shoulder, he backs up. One in the chest, he keels over like he just got the wind knocked out of him. And then another one goes straight through his forehead and he falls face first into the mud. And Deacon is up now and she sees that her guards are gone. There's fog surrounding the place. There's fire everywhere. And she turns to run. And tug, you're up. How far away is she from me? 30 feet. Um, is there any other enemies around her? Not currently, no. There's a whole slew of them over by Kurt still, but the fog is kind of fucking with them. I will cable call past Deacon, because she's 30 feet away. So I'll cable mm-hmm. call to something that's past her so that I can mm-hmm. cut her off. Okay. So that's going to be my movement, and then... Um, I lost the dodge, but that's fine. Um, so then I'll just have one more action in my bonus action, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will... Screw it. I'm going to punch that bitch. Whatever. She's being, <laughs> she's, she's being terrible. She's being a terrible person, so I'm going to punch her twice. Okay. Nice. 17 plus 9. 26. And a 14. Um, both will hit, actually. Yep. Holy smokes. Okay. So Tug Cable calls past her, kind of, you know, spideys to a tree, turns around and kind of like, you know, high up on the tree and kind of like lands on the tree with both feet and then pushes himself off towards her and just, um, 
whatever. I hit I hit with two, right? So I'll just do like a big, uh, full body kind of like drop kick, and, Sick. and uh, off the tree. Yeah, and each roll represents one of my feet in that drop kick. Sick. Okay, do your damage. I rolled two twice, which is kind of a bummer. So four plus ten, fourteen damage. All right, that's okay. Um, so as you leap off this tree. With two strong feet, you connect with her chest, and she goes falling to the ground. She was unsuspecting of this cable call, leap from the tree action, and you land on top of her. And at that moment, when you guys are you are further away from Carl and Tess, the three of you, you start to see these flashes of light come around the camp. Uh, the fog is illuminated by this silvery light. Um, you see things start to change within the trees the trees the leaves start to change to to gray and you look up and you realize that the moonlight is now shining upon the camp through the trees it's not clear so you're not getting the full effect of it but as you look around and you see this moonlight shine through you see projections of of something unnatural of something from from your world and i want you to roll a um roll a Roll a, uh, let's see, a perception check. 11 for Tug. Okay. Dirty 20. Dirty 20. Carl, you see as this, as this, these beams kind of pierce through in these thin streams of light and illuminate the floor, the, the forest floor around you and kind of hit some of these huts and some of these houses. Carl, you see bits and pieces of Woodhaven of buildings that you used to know just because tiny slivers but you can tell that there's something strange and something familiar as these beams are passing over some of these huts and they're just very temporarily transforming them into into different shapes and the beams increase in intensity and you can feel the heat come from them come from the sky and all of a sudden the canopy wherever these beams strike bursts into flames and it strikes the bridges and you hear rope snap and wood start to fall and tug directly above you a flaming bridge starts to fall down on top of you with a mixture of this moonbeam of this strange unnatural light burning up the trees and Tess's fireball the whole camp is in chaos and I need you to make a dexterity saving throw with disadvantage. With disadvantage. Oh boy. Yeah. All right. We say tug. <laughs> First one's a four. <laughs> and the other Dude, one. Disadvantage. Yeah. The yep. other one's 11. So I haven't added my modifier yet, but that would be a 12 and a 19. So okay. 12 Carl it is. Carl and Tess, you watch in horror as this flaming bridge, as these beams come down. As Tess, as Carl, you recognize Woodhaven and everything is confusing and all is in chaos you see this bridge come straight down on top of tug and deacon and tug you're gonna take a total of uh 28 damage tug is at zero on the nose at zero on the nose yep wow that's pretty incredible okay um so brian actually take your headphones off Tug, you feel yourself start to fade. You feel the crushing blow of this bridge kind of falling on top of you. The wood, this burning sensation crawl up your legs. And you're struggling to keep your eyes open. This, The world is fading around you and you hear your ears ringing. 
And then all of a sudden in front of you, from the depths of the forest outside the camp, this same golden figure that you saw before the Feywild comes into view. And it approaches you. And as it gets closer, it's gotten closer than it has been. And you used to think that this was a reflection of yourself. But as it gets closer and closer, it crawls up to you and it reaches out in hand to grab yours. I guess what am I what am I feeling here? Like is is am I afraid like is it instilling fear? You know that you are about to fall unconscious. You can feel the life force like previously, you've done this very recently. You feel the life life force kind of fall from you. Um, so the only thing you feel as this as this thing approaches you is want. Whatever emotion it kind of reflects upon you, you want it, but you also want to stay alive. So you are, I don't know, you, you you're in a mixed bag of emotions currently. I think. Um, I guess I guess Tug reaches out for the hand. Okay. So you reach out for the hand, and this golden hand clasps its fingers around you, yours. And as your hand touches it, you feel a warmth like you haven't felt in a long time. And the golden glow around this hand starts to spread away and fade away. And what replaces it from fingertips to palm to elbow to shoulders and now to the head and waist and legs is not you anymore. You see a figure of a different halfling, a little bit bigger than you, um, but extremely recognizable. And as it grabs your hand and turns into this form, it looks at you and it says, You're okay, son. I've got you. Oof. That's, that's pretty big game. Last but not least, I want to give a special shout out to those who give us 5 to $15 a month on Patreon. These are people that support the show, do great uh, great things for us. We really appreciate your support. Uh, if you want to get on this list, you can go on to patreon.com slash Tavern. Team Eugene, Metal Minister, James J.C. Aklantz, Uncles with Benefits, I'm Just Saying. Like Super Saiyan, that's good. Daniel Miles, Jaeger, Eric Sinat, Joshua McKee, Ed Sedal, Petey, Jason Colliver, James Wynn, William Martin, Pete Achilles, Andrew Fontanat, Faftastic, John C. Davies, Michael Schuler, Ray Lang, Ursula Bertea, William Cornish, Adair Bristow, Cody Irwin, Henry Strong, Lady Magesire, Shepard Tiberius, Anderson Martins, Jimmy the Penguin, Austin Pence, Derek Norman, Tim Searle, Liquor Locker, Kensworth Slater, Zabrija Emma Spring, Ryan Corbin, Torben Schwarz, JJ Haller, Chris Harrison, Tucker Barkley, Patman Ads, Seth M. Harrison, Kevin DeHart, Thomas Sanchez, Matthew Watson, Jesse Jones, David Barron, Dan McStarkerson, Jason Ripman, Joshua Motzinger, Nicole Chapin, Ian Coughling, William Martin, Dice Quest Podcast, aka Jack, Wolfgren, Stormstrider, NPC, Vitaly Vasilyuk, and Adam Hoffling. Thank you guys so much for your support for the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, once again, this is this helps us, you know, keep the show going and helps us convince our wives that what we're doing is worth it all. So thank you guys so much, and uh, have a great day. Have a great week. Have a great two weeks. Okay, bye.